Amen. Amen. Welcome back. Well, all these concerts have not taken away your energy, thank God. <laughs> We're glad you're back safely. Um, you know, the man who gave us our television ministry, um, the late Pastor Ben Hayden, he was the pastor of First Presbyterian Church of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, he had a, a, a practice in his church that on the anniversary, or at least once a year anyway, he would preach a sermon from the parodical son every year. And then he would preach on the parodical son. By the way, it's not, the Bible does not call this the parodical son. Uh, people do. Jesus does not call it the story of the parodical son. It's really, it's all about the father. I'm going to explain that to, um, because it's going to take us at least two more weeks to talk about this story. Uh, but he faithfully, every year, he'll preach at least one Sunday from that story. And so imagine the reaction of the folks who were at his funeral when his former associate pastor got up to give the eulogy and he started reading from Luke 15. And he preached the story of the prodigal son. They just start laughing. Pastor Hayden believed that this story that Jesus tells um, is the very essence of the Christian faith. He believed that this is the very heart of the gospel. It is the very uh, reflection of God's heart for His children. And while it is not planned this way, trust me, I am not that clever to plan this to be a sermon to be preached on our anniversary. <laughs> it just happened that way because of the series of messages we have been doing for the past many, many weeks. Um, but I think you know that, and it's not a secret, that Hollywood and the media and the movie industry have been working over time to distort the image of fatherhood. Some unfaithful fathers have aided and abetted into this distortion. It is not surprising, therefore, that a large number of people today have a distorted image of the fatherhood of God. Having grown up with a very hard father, a very harsh father, I have learned and I've taught others through the years of all these years in ministry not to even begin to compare our heavenly father with our earthly fathers. It's a huge mistake. And I am grateful to our Lord Jesus Christ who pulled the curtain to reveal to us the truth about our Heavenly Father, because that image was also distorted, even in the Old Testament. Luke chapter 15, if you turn to it, please, because as I said, we'll be going through it for the next couple of messages, beginning at verse 11, where our Lord Jesus Christ tells us what our Heavenly Father is like. So many preachers, when they preach from this story, they focus on the parodical, and they stay on the parodical, 
Everything is about the prodigal, but it is not. The prodigal is only a, an actor. He's only part of the story. And that is why we will not leave him out, but he's only part of the story. We'll look at both sons, as a matter of fact. The story primarily is about the father of those two boys. The story is about our Heavenly Father. The story is about the heart of our Heavenly Father. The story is about the unique love of our Heavenly Father. The story is about the character of our Heavenly Father. Jesus, who's God the Son, who coexisted with God the Father since before eternity, He reveals to us the real heart of God the Father, tells us what it's like, what He's like. So he begins the story in verse 11 of Luke 15 by saying, there was a father of two sons. Listen to me, please. Now, if you want to know the focus of any church, any church, any church, any church, did you get that? Any church. <laughs> Find out where they begin. Do they begin with God or do they begin with man? Do they begin where Jesus always began with God the Father or they begin with man and their needs? Uh, Jesus always began with the Father and then applied it to their needs. Sadly, the majority of modern preachers focus primarily on me and my needs, me and my life, me and my relationships, me and my feelings. Now listen to me, nothing wrong with these things, but when God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the triune God is at the center, all these things will fall in place. Can I get an amen? Let me put it this way. When these motivational preachers, that's all they are, they are motivational speakers. When these motivational speakers focus on me and my needs and your relationships and this and that and the other, all is about me. For the people, it's like drinking salt water. It's water, but it's salty. And you know when you drink salty water, you're going to need more. And more, and more. I mean, you're, you're desperate, so you drink more, and you drink more, and you're never satisfied. So what you do, you develop an addiction to the preacher. Hello? Not to God and His Word. It's an addiction to the preacher. But listen to me. To know the indescribable love of the Father is to be truly contented, to know the extravagant love of the Father, is to be truly fulfilled, to experience the amazing grace of God that leads you to a, li to a life of obedience. And that is why the psalmist could say, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I need nothing. That's a rough translation, but you that's really what he meant to say. And that is why we need to comprehend, beloved, listen, we need to comprehend the depth 
of the love of the father toward those two boys. And I'm going to explain more about this in the coming messages. We need to examine closely the heart of the father in these two situations here. One was outwardly rebellious, and the other was inwardly rebellious. He kept it on the inside. One flaunted his rebellion. The other held it in. One took pride in his rebellion. The other took pride in hiding his resentment toward his father. One lived wishing his father was dead. The other lived believing that his father is just not fair. And the father loved them both. While they were still sinners, the father humiliated himself for the redemption of both boys. While they're still sinners, no wonder the Bible said, while we were still sinners, Christ what? Died for us. One was openly rebellious, and the other went through the religious rituals. He went to church, sang in the choir, did all the right stuff, but his heart was not right with God. Turn with me, if you haven't already, to Luke 15. Again, just look at verse 11. Now, for those of you who are visiting with us, welcome. Glad you're here. But we've been going through the Gospel of Luke for quite some time now. We're calling it, Jonathan is preaching at 9 o'clock. It's the same series I'm doing at 10.30. And we're calling it Enduring Wisdom from the Lips of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. But we started chapter 15 a couple of weeks ago. And there were two messages from 15, and now we're continuing. There will be five altogether from chapter 15. It's such a rich, rich chapter, Luke 15. We saw two parables and then this true story. The two parables, one was the lost sheep, and the other one was the lost coin. And I explained that in the last message. Here's what I don't want you to miss. Don't miss this. When the sheep wandered off in ignorance... Did you get that? Ignorance? He's a dumb sheep, right? <laughs> he wandered off in ignorance. He wandered off in ignorance. The shepherd went after him. Ah, he went after him. He would not rest until he found him. When the woman lost her engagement coin, which I explained in the last message, she did not rest until she found it. That's why I want you to listen carefully, because this is important. Ah, but when the younger son deliberately, willfully rebelled against his father, what did the father do? He stayed home. He stayed home. He said, well, why is that? Why is that? Why is that? Why didn't the father do this? Well, first of all, let me tell you how it happened. The younger rebellious son woke up one day and walked up to his father, and he said, Father, give me my inheritance now. I'll say a whole lot more about that next message, <laughs> next Sunday. 
But to begin to comprehend this, how terrible, how awful, I, I cannot describe it in words. Just, just trust me, okay? <laughs> this request is, is, is beyond description to request his inheritance while the father still alive. This is the younger son, too. You have to understand the Middle East mindset, okay? You have to be from the Middle East to really comprehend the awfulness of this request. <laughs> the boy is basically saying, Father, I wish you were dead. Father, hurry up and die. I just want you to imagine the hurtful, the deep hurt that the father is feeling. And while you're at it, think about how many people and churches and whole denominations are living and behaving as God is dead, are wishing he's dead by denying his perfect, infallible word by their action, by rejecting his infallible word of God. How many are behaving as if God is dead? How many have rejected God's ordained marriages and family plan? How many have rejected God's will for fidelity in marriage? They're doing the same thing as this boy. So before you start condemning him, think about what's going around us right now. There are some of God's children. If you look at their calendar, look at their resources and how they use their resources, it's not reflecting any love for God, the Heavenly Father. When Jesus was describing this kind of a father to the Pharisees, I mean, they were sitting there looking at him incredulously. These Pharisees were listening, and they're not believing their ears. I have absolutely no doubt, no doubt, they were in a state of shock. I mean, they could be electrocuted and wouldn't feel as bad. Now, let me explain this. If a son back then, or even now, I spent the first 18 years of my life there, right? So I, I, I'm telling you, trust me. <laughs> if, if a younger son back then or even now would ask his father for his inheritance, will the father still living? About the only thing that son is going to get, whoa, the back of the hand of the father. Trust me on this one. Been there. Not that I ever asked for that. <laughs> I didn't have anything to ask for. And I'm absolutely certain that these Pharisees, I mean, the jaws, ah, what? What are you talking about? I mean, the eyes were popping out of their heads, the bigger saucers, and, and they said, the father did what? Are you kidding us? Are you for real? Is this father for real? But it gets more hilarious. Just, just calm down. See, according to the Old Testament law of inheritance, Old Testament, not the New Testament, Old Testament, Deuteronomy 21 verse, 7, verse 17, forgive me, Deuteronomy 21 17, the, the division of the inheritance goes this way. Two-thirds of the estate goes to the older son. I'm going to explain that in a minute. 
then the other third will go to the younger or even uh, the, other, the rest. Why two-thirds to the older boy? Because, and this is after the father dies, not before, because the older boy supposed to take care of his widowed mother and the, uh, all the affairs of the household. He has to be responsible for, for, for the rest of the family. And this is, as I said, after the death of the father, not before. And that's why what Jesus is saying here was absolutely designed to shock them, is designed to shock them of how incomprehensible, how awesome, how unbelievable, how indescribable, how patient, how inexhaustible, how long-suffering, how generous the love of the Father is. While the father going through the pain over his son's rebellion, while the father going through the crucible of rejection, while the father's going through that inward suffering, and yet he lets the son go with the money. Beloved, I thank God for all the faithful stewards through the years in this place, and I thank God faithful stewards who Watching us right now, many of them know who they are. We have faithful stewards all over this country, in fact, all over the world. But think about all the children of God who take all of His blessings, all the resources, and all of His generosity, and they spend them on themselves. Never think of the Heavenly Father. Question. Why would the father let them get away with that? Because the father knows, listen carefully, because the father knows that love only has what love lets go of. I want to repeat this. Because the father knows that love only has what love lets go of. Did you get that? I know. It's easy to hear, hard to practice. I know that. There may be someone here watching around the world on Kingdom Sat, all the platforms and tens of platforms around the world. Maybe someone here who have for years taken all of God's blessings for granted. For years, I've been living in the far country. For years, have been oblivious to the longing heart of the Heavenly Father. I want to invite you today, come home to the Father. Come home to the Father. Come home to the Father. I want to invite you, come back home to your longing Father. Or maybe there's someone here who might have experienced betrayal by a loved one, just like that father. Listen carefully. Your pain is real. Your pain is very real. 
Your anguish is absolutely true. Your agony is a fact. But as painful as that is, let him go. Give them to your heavenly Father. Hand them over to the only one who can bring them back. Surrender them to the only one who can lead them to repentance. Why? Because sometimes it is only in the far country that those who are blinded with selfishness will be able to come to themselves, will be able to come to their senses. Let me ask you this. What is your far country? What is your far country? Is it an unwholesome relationship? What is your far country? Is it a misplaced priority? What is your far country? Is it a constant, continuing fear, worry, anxiety? Is it an inability to trust God, to trust God with your future, to trust God with the future of your family, to trust God with the future of your business? Well, the Father may let you go and let you keep going to your heart's content. But he's waiting. I know he let me go for 18 months. The worst 18 months of my life. And don't ever forget that your heavenly Father is hurting as he's longing for you to come home. Many years ago, I think back in my seminary years, someone asked me this question, and I really did not know how to answer it at the time, but I still remember it. Why didn't the father try to stop the son from leaving? A great question. I'm sure he could have. Or he could have sent a private detective to follow him, but he didn't, obviously. Could have sent one of his servants to shadow him, but he didn't. The father stayed home until the son came to his senses. Beloved, please listen to me. Deliberate, willful rebellion can only be waited out. I want to repeat that. Deliberate, willful rebellion can only be waited out. I know that is not easy. I know that. There may be someone at the sound of my voice right now who is where the Father was in this story. There's someone in your life who is breaking your heart in two. Someone in your life who's causing you to live in your own private Gethsemane. Someone in your life who's causing you to stain your pillow with tears every night. 
someone in your life who is causing you so much hurt that you can't hurt anymore. Please, please, please listen to the voice of your heavenly Father. And he's saying, I know what you're going through. I've experienced that pain when one of my children is living in disobedience. I've experienced that pain when one of my children is unfaithful to me. I know that pain. I experience that pain when one of my children denies me before others. But let me run very quickly into focusing on the father's reaction to his wayward child when he came home. You know, that is my favorite part. I got to confess to you, that is absolutely my favorite part. I always hurry through to get to that part. <laughs> the father said to him, you stupid and foolish boy. You caused me all sorts of sorrow and pain. You show up now when you become desperate. You thought that you can live a, as a big shot, living up, living it up on my money. You have disgraced my name, disgraced the family name. You have to earn my forgiveness. You have to work for the rest of your life to pay me back. You have to grovel in front of the village elders. No, 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 no. In fact, Jesus wanted his hearers who would have done exactly that. They would have done exactly that. He wanted his hearers who would have exactly, any respected Jewish man at that time would have done exactly that. That is the custom of the day. That is the usual thing. The boy, after he comes home, he would have him sit outside the house for a week until all the passers-by come and make fun of him. Hey, 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 look at him. And then eventually the village elders would come in and intercede, and they said, look, he suffered enough. Let him in. Only after that the father would let him in. Thank God, thank God, thank God, thank God, thank God. That did not happen. And it did not happen to you or me when we came to Jesus. The Father runs. I want you to say that with me. The Father, now I want you to say it with enthusiasm. The Because this is, some of you might know this, some of you might not. This is a huge part of the story. It's huge. It is huge. I know some of you think, oh, you know, the father ran and got the boy. No, 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 you don't understand. The father was not sitting in shorts and Nike, and, and they said, oh, yeah, I'll run after. No, 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 no. In the Middle East, to this day, not just by, to this day, a dignified man never runs. Only boys Servants, slaves, and criminals, they're the only ones who run. 
not a dignified man. See, you've got to understand, he's not talking to bucket people in Atlanta, Georgia. He's not talking to Americans. He's talking to these guys who are sitting there. The father did what? Yeah, he ran. See, father running is a big part of the story. Can you see the cross here? Can you see the cross? God, in his son, humiliated himself, hung on a cross, and died to reconcile us and redeem us. Question. What does a triune God in heaven does when a sinner confesses and repents? Rejoices. Several times says rejoices. Embraces, which is a sign of acceptance. Kisses with a sign of reconciliation. Washes and cleanses, which is assurance of forgiveness. He puts on his robe, which is an imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ on us sinner, for make no mistake about it, none of us, none of us had our own right standing with God. None of us. You see, God's eye is purer than to look upon sin, my sin, your sin. So Jesus had to impute his robe of righteousness on us so that the Father can look upon us and through the prism of the righteousness of Jesus. As we prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table, let me ask you, are you in your own far country? Only you can answer that. Are you far from the security of your heavenly Father's home? You can come home today, and you can walk down these aisles, And say, Father, I'm going to elaborate on that in the next message. The boy didn't finish his speech. He just says, Father. And the father said, I heard enough. He knew what's in his heart. He knew what's coming. I heard enough. didn't finish the speech, and the father embraced him, forgave him. And the father will forgive you if you truly repent and ask for his Holy Spirit to dwell in you, give you the strength so that the spirit may win against the flesh, as Jonathan was talking about in that video. We all have that. It's a war going on. And as you feed the Spirit daily, He'll give you victory over the flesh. Can I get an amen? amen? Pray with me, please. Father God, it is impossible. It is truly 
an impossibility to thank you and praise you for your amazing love. And Lord, only you know what's in the heart of each one of us. And so, I pray for those who are here and those who are watching. Holy Spirit, none of us are beyond your reach and the reach of your conviction. I pray that you would come, encourage the discouraged, bind the brokenhearted, convict the rebellious heart, bring us all to repentance. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.